we are back. We are live, kind of live, for the Flat Out RC podcast, a podcast where we talk all things radio control. We're talking radio control planes, helis, and drones. Well, the reason why I say it's sort of live is because we can't make it live. It's like a recorded live kind of thing. Uh, and as you can tell, I probably should be scripting more of this, but I'm not. My name's Andrew Sill. I'm coming to you from the land down under in Melbourne, Australia. I was looking at the data the other day on who listens to this podcast and a big shout out to all, all the listeners over in the uh, US of A. Uh, we seem to have a fair few followers uh, over there. So uh, welcome, welcome to uh, this podcast and really appreciate that you're listening in. Also to those people down in South America and Brazil, I know that you're listening. Uh, we've got people from the UK. We've got even people in Iran listening to this podcast. It's, it's, it's going global, the Flat Out RC podcast, but most of our guests come from the Australian region. And there's one thing that we have in common, we aero modelers, and that is aero modeling, the love of model flying. And so uh, always got someone good to join us and have a chat. Uh, this week we have Roly Gauman. Roly He's originally from Switzerland, but been in Australia for many, 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 many decades. Uh, calls Australia his home and really avid aero modeler. He's got a really interesting story. So uh, stay tuned for my chat with Rolly. But before we get to Rolly, let's have a look at what's been on my mind. Well, before I tell you what's been on my mind, just want to remind you two promotions. I'll be very, very quick. We have the NGH Engine Special from RC World at rcworld.com.au. They're offering 10% off any NGH petrol engine. We're talking two-stroke and four-stroke engines. Uh, plenty to choose from. Uh, quality product coming out of China. They've been in production for around 10 years. These NGH engines are also doing commercial UAV applications as well. But for the aero modeler, plenty of motors to choose from, everything from a 9cc to a 70cc twin in the two-stroke and in the four-stroke, a 30cc. There's one in the middle, like up to a 60cc twin, which is awesome. The NGH 60cc twin inline four-stroke engine sounds great. Jump onto YouTube and you'll hear that. 10% discount at rcworld.com.au using the code FLATOUTNGH. That's flat out N. G-H. Uh, just put that in on the coupon code and you'll get 10% off NGH engine. So go and take a look at the range at rcworld.com.au. You'll be really impressed. And we've got another special offer. If you are into kit building, we have a great offer for you. Uh, if you're living in Australia, uh, scaleaeroproducts.com.au are offering 10% off their laser cut kits there's a whole bunch of different kits if you want a glider if you want an old timer if you want a warbird uh scale aero products have it uh and of course they're offering flat out rc listeners a 10 percent discount off all kits so all you need to do is go to scaleaeroproducts.com.au and put in the code flat out 10 one zero that is f-l-a-t-o-u-t one zero and you'll get 10 percent off a kit so Get on board. I've been on the Aeroflight Ares kit that they've got, the glider kit, because I've got one of the originals and they're no longer manufactured, but uh, Scale Aero products are bringing them back and, and affordable prices. Plus, you get 10% discount using the code FLATOUT10, FLATOUT10. So, a big thank you to RC World and Scale Aero products for 
giving the listeners a bit of a deal. So thank you. Now, what I want to talk about is things are starting to open up here in Australia. I know around the world, different countries have opened up after you know, COVID situations and restrictions. And uh, what does that mean? Well, it means we can go flying for one, but it means that events can get back up and running. And I just want to talk about the importance of events in our hobby. Uh, there's a lot of talk about trying to keep the hobby buoyant by getting new blood into it. And if you've listened to this podcast for a while, you know that most people started the hobby by seeing it somewhere. They saw a friend flying the control line plane in the park. Their dad showed showed flying to them and you know they got hooked. But it's a very visual thing. And events give us that opportunity to share the experience, let people see it and expose it. And I'm really talking about events that allow the general public to come in. Uh, not only does it provide some entertainment value and something for families to do together and take the kids out to go and have a look at the um, the model planes flying, but it it it's helping promote the hobby and spark interest that could attract new blood. And that's what I think that a lot of clubs should be looking at doing. There's some really good clubs that do that. You know, of course we've got big events like the Shepherd and Mammoth event. Um, uh, I really love the Horizon Hobbies air meet that they they do on an international level, and and now they live stream that, and we can see that. So it comes out of Germany, the event. But that kind of event, if you haven't looked at it, jump, jump onto the YouTube and have a look at Horizon Hobbies air meet, and you'll see how professionally it's done. Multiple cameras, um, we've got commentators, uh, but it's a very set sort of format where you know they'll have some jets flying, they'll have some smaller planes, and they'll have the warbirds on that kind of thing. So those kind of display days really work well. Not only are they fun for the for the participants to join in, but it's great for the public. So I encourage you, things are opening up. Let's get things moving again. If you, you know, to run an event here in Australia that's a, a display event, there's a little bit of extra work. When I mean display event where the public are allowed to come. A little bit of extra work, but the um, you know, the MAAA can assist you if you're an MAAA affiliated club in um in doing that. And no doubt AMAS can as well. Hi Patsy, I know you're listening. Patsy Brown, the president of AMAS, lovely lady, absolutely awesome, really full of enthusiasm. Uh, that if you want to run those kind of display days, there's a few different requirements around um, uh, safety um, that you need to take in consideration, such as um, your flight lines, make sure they're, they're going nowhere near the uh, the crowd, uh, fencing, that kind of thing. So there's a, there's, a, there's a few forms that you need to fill out and a few things you need to do at the club. But what I find, if you've never done it at your club before, the first one involves all the work. The second, third one, fourth one is exactly the same. You know what to do. So at some point point in time, you've got to go through the process if you want to do that. And then the the other side of running a display day, the most critical thing is the promotion of it. Um, I've done it before. I've run some events which were open to the public. And it's just a matter of you know having a nice looking flyer um, you know, and getting it out there. Uh, a great way to promote events, if you really want to get some good numbers, is jump onto Facebook and uh, pay for an ad on Facebook and you can pay 20 bucks if you like uh, to, to spread the word and you can choose your demographics and your area that you want to focus on and getting, you know, if you're out in the country regions and you want to focus on your local town, you can do that through, through something like Facebook. Very, very cost effective. Trust me, I work in marketing. This is what I do all day long for companies and it works. You can get in front of a lot of people for a very cheap price. So have a nice flyer and then start promoting it. Uh, I've had a lot of success in, in country towns and getting some support from local businesses where you put your flyer up, even local radio stations, television stations. 
they're looking for something to, to report on and they love reporting on model airplanes flying because, again, it's a very visual thing. So, so there's a lot of spin-offs as a, as a result of putting on that event and making that effort. So let's do it. Get some good public events running. Get the... the, 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 the uh, oh, I, I even had the local nursing home, the old, uh, old people's home, come to one of my events and it was great and I made sure I spent some time with them and had a chat with them and because they just loved a day out to sit and watch the aeroplanes fly. So you're doing a lot of good for the world when you run an event and open it up to the public. So let's do it. We're opening up. Here in Victoria where I live, down in Melbourne, we are opening up. I heard today, because I record this on a Sunday, it's a little tip, that's why it's not live, it's a Sunday afternoon, that I just heard on a media release that uh, about 24th of November, we're up and running, no limits, let's go. So plenty of time to plan. We're in good flying season down here in Australia at the moment, all the way through to, I'd say, the end of March. is a peak flying time. So let's do it. Get some public displays happening. If you're a member of a club, can't tell your committee. Andrew had a good idea on Flat Out RC podcast. Display day. Well, now it's my favourite time of the podcast where I get to talk to a special guest. And this week's special guest is a guy that I've actually wanted to get on for a while. There's a few people that I've been trying to get on for a while, but uh, Rolly Gowman is the gentleman's name. And I know Rolly through my local flying club. I actually met him prior to me being a member of that club when I did an article on his Corby Starlet that put it in the Flat Out RC magazine many years ago. And at that time, he was telling me his story about where he came from and how he came to Australia and... Uh, because uh, he's originally from Switzerland, and uh, but you really enjoy Rolly's story. It's 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 quite it's one that really involves a lot of error modeling. Like error modeling has been a big part of his life for a long time, and still continues to be so. And uh, yeah, I don't want to say too much because it's it, I really enjoyed my chat with Rolly and finding out more about him. So over to my chat with the one and only Rolly Gowman. Well, this gentleman that's joining me today on the Flat Out RC podcast is a person that I've wanted to have on for a while uh, because he has a very, very interesting story that he told me many years ago, and now I get to share it with you. Rolly Gowman, thanks for joining me on the Flat Out RC podcast. <laughs> yeah, hello, Andrew. How are you? Good, good. Well, if you can't tell, Rolly wasn't born in Australia. Where are you originally from? Well, I was born... A long, long time ago in uh, Switzerland and near the capital Bern. And uh, my my mum and dad, they had a, re a restaurant on the River Arde. And uh, that's where I grew up. And I also spent the first couple of years then at school nearby. Uh, we then moved on to another restaurant uh, a little while away from there. And that's really when my aero modeling then properly started because, uh, you know, in Reisenbach and the, where I was born, it, it was too little to, to, to realize, you know, what is going on. But, you know, what happened is my dad used to, when he used to go shopping, he always used to bring something home for us. And uh, quite often it, it was a, a, a small model aeroplane, you know, think of the kilos, uh, wood gliders, or uh, then, of course, in Europe, we had the Gunther uh, models, you know, and they came in gliders, high-toe uh, uh, high glider, just small stuff, you know, and that, that's really how it started. Uh, at the second place, we had the restaurant, uh, 
Yeah, I was then probably about or getting about 10, 10, 11 years old, and that's when we really started. Probably one of my real defining moment in in really to get my interest going in in uh, modelling and aviation in general was at the air show in Basel, Mulhausen, and that would have been. Uh, early 60s. I'm, I'm a little bit hazy there exactly when it was. But I, but one of the two events on that air show really grabbed me. Uh, one was the prototype Vulcan. So the RAF oh. uh, came and demonstrated that uh, aircraft the first time in actually in continental Europe. And it was the very the very early prototype one, you know, with the with the straight leading edges, yeah. all white, and you know, it was just absolutely. I can still see it today, mm. you know, these, these low turns in front of the spectators, and you know how everything just went dark, you know, when yeah. that huge aluminium cloud came flying by. Yeah. The other thing which stands out of that meeting was the Hawker Hunter was new at the time. And, you know, in those days, uh, anything went, you know. So up up that guy, that uh, pilot went with the uh, Hunter, probably about 30,000 feet. You barely saw him and then a dive, you know. Oh, really? And boom, you know, with the supersonic. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, yeah, oh yeah, and this happened just over the over the uh, <laughs> airfield, you know. Yeah, so no, look, I mean that that really then uh, got us going, you know. It, it, it always interests me when I talk to people about how they got started, and and some people are really vague as how they got that love for for, for aviation or aircraft or model aircraft, but it sounds like this event. It's so vivid in your memory. And you did say that it's oh. sort of a pivotal thing. So you go to that event and you just thought it was the greatest thing. And then how, where did you see model aircraft? Look, you know, I many times talk to colleagues about that. And uh, it's, it was actually very, very similar here as well in Australia. But in those days, you went for the Sunday drive uh, in, a, in a park or up in a in a paddock somewhere, there were model aeroplanes around. It was a lot more widespread. It's not like today, like pea and ducks, right? Uh, you don't get visitors which just drive by and, oh, let's go and have a look at these model aircraft. I mean, you wouldn't see them from the main road. That's right. But in those days, we did see them, you know, and there was also a, a, a park uh, near Bern the capital of Switzerland, we, we, live, we lived about 10 kilometres away, and uh, it was actually the original airfield of Bern, right? It, it, uh, it then uh, got built in, and, uh, and then, of course, ceased to be a, an, air, an airfield, you know. But uh, it was still used for aeromodelling. And the model club, the Bayern model club, they actually, it was their first field there. So, 
you know, many times, Dad, Dad, can we go and have a look at the moles, you know? And we used to go to that field, yeah. At that time, I was probably about 13, 14, something like this, still at school. And uh, so it wasn't really practical to join the club. You know, we were just mucking around with free flight models and stuff like this, just in the local paddock, you know. And there were two or three guys at, uh, at our uh, school which were interested in and also one of the teachers was actually an aeromodeler and he had a little uh, backyard uh, shop you know so we hung around there so that really then got us into into aeromodeling yeah but yeah, yeah no so you, you know uh, yes when you went for a drive you know it was not unusual to come across uh, uh, a couple of guys in a paddock there with model aircraft and then stop that stop stop i want to go and have a look you know yeah and uh, you know, it, it then really started to take off once I took an apprenticeship and then had some more money and then we bought better radios and stuff like this, you know, and that's when it really, really then got going. After the, after free flight, did you then get into a control line or did you go straight to radio control? No, we, we no, for some reason, we never went into control lines. You know, a lot of our mates... They had control line planes, but nah, nah, that wasn't real flying, you know. <laughs> so it was it was free flight and then single channel radio. Yeah. The single you channel know, radios. Um, oh God, yeah. That's you know, when you, well, when you think back of what you know, you're lucky to get a to get a few flights in, and you know, you you really never came home with uh, with the model in one bit. You know, there was always something went wrong, you know, and yeah. And also, you know, because uh, the way we started without the benefit of the club, yeah, you you learned from your mistakes. And uh, I'm sure you can appreciate that too. Is, you know, in those days, you built the model, uh, you had a dodgy radio, and uh, you never really... You, you know, and, and these early flights, they lasted for probably three, four, five seconds. And, <laughs> and you, you never you never knew, was it a pilot error? Was it the, did, did the plane actually, is it actually capable of flight at all? Uh, or it was something else. So, you know, it was real trial and error. And it was real... Uh, you know, willpower then came in because, you know, when I think back, we had dozens of chances to say, oh, this sucks, you know, give it up. There must be something better around, you know, go and, uh, you know, no, girls weren't weren't in at the time, you know, but they now go and you know, become a, a, a road cyclist, you know, something like this, you know, or model ships, you know, they... Yeah, yeah. Just on that point, because that's that's an interesting thing is that the way that you describe it, and it's, it's I love the way that you're describing this because, you know, it just paints this picture in my mind as to what was happening at that particular time. And like you said, that you wonder how you kept on going with so much adversity, so many failures that yeah. what, 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 what kept you coming back? Why did you keep on coming back crash after crash? Look, 
I, I don't know. Look, I, I can't tell you what it is, but I've always been like this. And it then, in my late, late to life, you know, in, then, uh, uh, in the work, uh, in the workplaces and things like this, I was never one to give up. Right, when often people say, oh no, it can't be done, you have to replace it, you have to get something new, oh no, too difficult. And so I never gave up. And I put that down to, to the experience in modelling, you know, because it, I wanted to fly a model aircraft and there was only one way of doing it. You know, you, you build them and you go and try them out and if it doesn't work out you 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 think about it and then you fix it and you make it better you know it, 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 it simply uh, that that's the way it was yeah, it yeah, yeah you know look there again uh, my brother he is two years younger than me and both of us were in the era modeling you know so it, you know it was probably uh, you know, contest between the two of us, you know, and uh, yeah, no, we, we just never gave up. <laughs> yeah, that makes, it makes, even, a, makes a lot of sense. Though, yeah, even though we had to have plenty of uh, opportunity to do so, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, now, that's, that's another thing. When it really was taking off then with us, at that time I was probably about 16, 17, started to have better radios. And you may have heard the name of Bruno Kitzendanger. He was a Swiss in 1961 or something like this. He was a world champion uh, aerobatic flyer model. Right, and he he wasn't that far away from us, and uh, in the in the North Club, obviously. But you know, he was our hero. Here he was, you know, world champion, uh, twice in a row. You know, we never heard of. I mean, and he, I think he was also the first European one. You know, because the early ones were Americans. You know, when it started up. Yeah. So uh, that 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 was another thing. Uh, you know, so uh, there was a guy, hey, he is really good. I want to be like him, yes. you know. And, oh, look, a funny, really funny uh, occurrence in those days, of those days, was in 1970. Uh, to go to the national championships, it, it wasn't like here in Australia, you just went. You had to actually go to the regional uh, championship. Right, Switzerland had about six or seven regions. You had to be uh, number one in the region, and then all the regions' champions they went into the national championship. Anyway, in that year, uh, after uh, yeah, uh, with, with plenty of models and stuff like this, you know, eventually made it and I could go to the national championship, which was a big deal, you yeah. know, because there was a lot of competition. Anyway, got there and uh, after two rounds, I was in second place. Right, first place was Kitz and Dunner, second place me, and then there was another one with only a few points behind me. The, the gap between me and Kitz and Dunner was a bit bigger, it was a couple of hundred points. Anyway, uh, at the, in my second flight it started raining, 
right? But anyway, finished my flight and uh, and uh, that was it. Got ready for the third round. When the third round started, right, they called up, started up, and the bloody elevator didn't work anymore. You know, and in those days too, is when you're called up, you've got three minutes to start your motor and start your flight. It was three, three minutes or five minutes. I can't remember now what it was, but you were on time. If you didn't get your model in the air in that time, that was it. You're, you know, zero points. So anyway, uh, looked around and uh, uh, a friend of ours, he had the same multiplex radio as me. So, and well, why don't you get my transmitter? Because I think what happened is, you know, this was the, di- the time the uh, radios, the, the better radios, they had these open gimbals, mm. so they weren't actually sealed. Mm. So I reckon oh, the rain, the rain, the rain had run down, oh. uh, run down to a stick in, uh, into the potentiometer, and that was it. So anyway, borrowed that other transmitter, and uh, yes, it all worked. But the elevator was the uh, wrong way round, <laughs> <laughs> you know. And see, and, and see, they too understand that these days you just go sort of over the worst switch, you switch it around. But in those days, no, yeah, you couldn't do that. So I decided, I decided, okay, I'll fly with the uh, elevator uh, the wrong way round. And <laughs> you're uh, brave, yeah. And you know, I still, I then uh, lost enough points to be dropped back to third place, but it was still in the middle of the race. (laughs) 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 And uh, you know, I mean, Jesus Christ, I I think I made made the headlines in the model magazine. (laughs) There's that guy flying the third round uh, with the elevator reversed. And uh, still, still, actually, they uh, lost a few points. Yeah, and uh, but still made it, you know. That's yeah, so. crazy. So then, uh, let's fast forward a little bit. You then end up coming to Australia, right? Now, tell yeah. us, tell us why you came to Australia, how that all came about. Look, uh, see, uh, when I was twenty and finished the apprenticeship, you then have to go into military service, right? So you do the 16 weeks military service. Uh, you had to do that because uh, you couldn't piss off before then, mm. right? And, uh, and uh, then uh, I, I, I went as a, uh, in the Air Force, Swiss Air Force on Hawker Hunters, you know, and I was an avionic technician. Anyway, and then the year after, there was another six-week training course, specialist uh, technical training on hunter. Right, I did that, and then in the meantime, I decided, look, you know, uh, what am I, am I going to go and just start working and and whatever, or do I go and uh, actually see the world do something different? So I decided, yeah, I'll. I'll I'll go for a couple of years. Uh, first choice would have been probably the US, but uh, you know you couldn't get there uh, because you had to have that green card and stuff mm. like this even in those days. The second one, uh, uh, a school friend of mine, he went to South Africa. Uh, just what I've heard 
off that uh, he wasn't that happy and was going to come back again. So that that was out. Uh, the third one was here in those days of Odisha, you know, Zimbabwe and I, these days, uh, that you could go there without actually uh, having... Uh, they actually gave you a visa if you wanted to go there, no problem, no questions asked. And then the the, uh, the third one was Australia, so uh, I decided, oh, well, let's go to Australia. <laughs> <laughs> so what year, what year was this? Give us a year, roughly, that you, you came huh? to Australia. So what year did you come to Australia? It was in 73. Okay, so in 1973, yeah. 48 yeah. Years. And it was just after Easter. Oh, we had Easter at home, and then after Easter, I, I then left to come here. Yeah. Okay. yeah and then, uh, you know, just a lot. Uh, uh, you know, why did you come to Melbourne? Well, uh, there was actually a, a, in the Bairn Model Club Bairn, there was a, um, a friend of ours and his brother lived in Melbourne, right? So, oh, well, if he, if he lives there, it couldn't be too bad, so <laughs> I'll go there as well, you know. I caught up with him, I caught up with him once I was here, but, uh, you know, we didn't have much in common and, uh, mm-hmm. yeah. But anyway, that, that, that was it and uh, that's where I stayed. What did you do for a job when you were in Australia? So you came, because you already had a, an apprenticeship doing what? You see, in Switzerland, my apprenticeship was done as an uh, a instrument maker, right? Uh, when I first came here, uh, because of my language skills weren't that good, English skills, you know, well, it was enough to, 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 to not starve, you know, I could actually order something. <laughs> yeah, but no, I needed to brush up. So uh, I was working in a metal... Uh, their uh, factory, they make metal products in in Malvern, you know, and I had a flat with a with another Swiss guy in Turek, you know. So I travelled up Malvern Road up to that place, and uh, yeah, so uh, it it was very good because nobody spoke German or Swiss German, so I had to learn pretty quickly. And I also then had, uh, in those days, the government had the English uh, lessons at schools in the evening, so I went to them, you know, and uh, and then, uh, but I knew I'm not going to stay there, you know. And uh, by the end of the year, then uh, I then. Uh, 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 vacancies came up with their NIC instrument company. NIC instrument company was a division of Ansett Airlines and they had the workshop in uh, Airport West. So anyway, I got accepted there and then for the next 18 years I was uh, on uh, avionics yeah, oh, really? for Ansett Airlines. Yeah. You said to me once that you came to Australia and you saw the model flying here and the and the space that we had and all that and the weather was better and all that and so you couldn't go back because you could fly model airplanes here better oh yes i think that's exactly right you know when i uh, 
And I remember even the very first soap I had, I remember the guy next to, to me on the bench next to it. Uh, one morning he was bending up uh, some vials, you know. I thought, oh, that's strange, you know. And uh, washed a bit longer, you know. And, oh, that looks like an undercarriage, you know. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So anyway, uh, so anyway, I asked him in my broken uh, English, you know, uh, what are you building? And he was a control line flyer. Okay. And I said, oh, look, I'm looking for a club to join, you know. And he said, oh, P&Ducks, Ducks, you know, they meet at the Moravian Airport every month in the in the in the restaurant there in the club rooms, you know. Yeah, so I went there and Wally Schubeck was the president at the yes. time, you know. So I went there and I joined and I never looked back. Yeah, well, you still remember that? <laughs> and uh, I mean the 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 flying fields, you know, it was a far cry of Europe, you know, here. Even that even that field down at the Police paddocks, you know, it was fantastic, you know. Yeah, well, okay, we never had the clubhouse there, no, nothing. And then, oh, I've got to tell you uh, funny stories there, you know. Uh, when I first came here, you know, and uh, going down to that field there, and they were flying, and so um, they, uh, flew with the people there, and they were very friendly, you know, welcoming and things like this. But after, very soon, uh, I found out behind the, the car park in there was a spoon drain, you know, and these guys, now I'm not going to mention any names because some some of these guys are miraculously still alive today. So, but, uh, you know, say about four o'clock in the afternoon, they started drinking these beer cans, you know, and after Saturday and Sunday, that bloody ditch was full. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I, I've never seen uh, piss pots like that in my life before, you know. Welcome to Australia. And, uh, yeah, oh, it, 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 it was incredible, you know. We don't and, see that at all now, do we? At a flying, we don't see anybody really drink. Some of the iMackers will have a bit of a drink after competition. I know that, especially Chris Rutter, if he's listening, he, he knows that he drinks a fair bit for everybody. But yeah, we don't really see that that drinking culture around flying clubs that much. Oh, they completely disappeared. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, the, the thing is, it socially wouldn't be acceptable anymore. To be honest, you know, and this and this this was still flying after after putting a few back. You know, I mean, I I never did that. You know, but anyone, another really funny occurrence at that time is uh, the club we went as a club we went to Philip Island and visited Philip Island Club. So flew there all weekend, you know, and on the way home in in convoy, you know, and. Uh, that particular guy said, oh, look, uh, we'll, uh, we'll uh, stop at the San Remo bottle shop, you know, to get something to to keep us going on the way home. Anyway, uh, pulled in there and uh, they got out, you know, and then they started loading. There were four of them in that car. And so they started loading these slabs of beer into that car. <laughs> and, and, oh, look, it, it was hilarious, you know, and then so all the way home to Melbourne from uh, Phillip Island, you know, I reckon they did about two or three cans to the mile. Yeah. And these, these 
cans flew out of the windows on both sides of the car. Oh. <laughs> See, gee, times have changed, haven't they? Now, oh, a, a, question, yeah. a question for you. So you left when you left Switzerland, did you sell all your gear or did you bring any of it with you? Or you know, how did you get re-established? I, I bought my radio with me, that multiplex radio, which I had, uh, and I bought two 60 size motors with me. One was a, an OS, I still got that, uh, rear induction gold head, and the other one was a Super Tiger 60. Uh, yeah, uh, but otherwise, no, I, I had nothing, but, uh, you know. Rolly, I've got to say this. Most young people that go travelling don't take their transmitter and some motors with them. So you <laughs> must have well and truly been hooked to travel with your radio gear and a couple of engines. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, absolutely. So then, so then when yeah. you, so you had to obviously then build a model. Um, did you buy a kit or did you scratch build? What did you do? No, well, the first one I built here was a scratch build, yeah. And, and there too, I don't know whether you're familiar in those days, but you probably were still in nappies or whatever. Yes, close <laughs> no, to it, yep. Remember, remember in Caulfield, the hobby hanger? Yes, Tony yeah, got it, yep. Yeah, Tony Sincotta and then uh, Monty Tittle, of course, was there. Yeah, so uh, again with that, with, with my friend, uh, which bent up the undercarriage in, in next to me on the bench, you know, he said, I well, said to him, hey, I need a hobby shop, you know, where do you buy that stuff? So we went down after work, you know, down to a uh, coal field there and yeah, so we... Uh, Yes, that's where I bought the, the stuff, bowls of wood and stuff like this and um, knocked up the plane. <laughs> yeah, oh, Tony Trincotta, I, I remember going to his store, uh, it would have been in the late 80s probably, and then in the 90s I think as well, and uh, the tray of cigarette butts was sitting there because he would just keep on smoking and he had, oh, he had stuff everywhere. He had stuff everywhere. Oh, but, um, did you ever fly at Caulfield Racecourse across the road? Yeah. Now, tell me a bit about that because I've, I, you know, I've, I go there now and again because you're still allowed to fly there. But um, people were flying, what you know, petrol engines and all that kind of stuff, weren't they? Yeah. Yeah. Not anymore. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, Tony Sincotta, he he probably was another real model. You know, he he was into everything. Yeah. You know, free flight, he control line radio and things like this, you know. And I clearly remember uh, at the end when he was trying to uh, get rid of the shop, you know, he he had models hanging up there mm. everywhere, you know, and they uh, were talking about that and their prices on them, you know. Mm. And they uh, were just talking, oh, do you actually sell them for this? And they said, yeah, that's right. Uh, you know, that's, that's my price and that's what it is you know and he 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 said he said uh, one guy coming you know and typically modeled you know i think it was there for 400 bucks you know which was bloody cheap and uh, somebody came in and offered him 200 yeah and uh, tony turned around and said if you do that, I'd rather take it down and jump on it than <laughs> give it to you for two hundred dollars. Yeah, but you know that that's what model is, and and they'll find that that's the world over the same. You know, yeah. they 
whatever, they don't seem to be able to accept the price. You know, it has Everything's, to be, you have well, to haggle. You have know? You, have, do you think that over the years, because you've been aero modelling for a long time, do you think that it's become more affordable? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that's what oh, I, absolutely. Think. I think. Look, that... yeah, look, I mean, if we would have had what beginners or if, we, if you get into the hobby now, what, you, what you've got now is you buy yourself a foamy or, or something like this, unless you're going to go ridiculously stupid. Uh, if you buy a trainer-type foamy and stuff like this, A, you know it flies, hmm. right? They're all foamies, they fly, right? Uh, the radio gear which comes with it works. So it's really only yourself you have to work on, isn't it? Yeah. But, but you know, in the early in the early days, you you build a model and you never knew whether whether you you assembled them correctly or or whatever. You know, were they actually capable of flight? Yeah, but oh no, look and and also the other revolution, of course, is electric flight. You know, it just it, you know instead of instead of uh, trying to start a, a little diesel motor for two or three days flicking on the veranda, you know? <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. painful. Yeah. Oh no, look, it, 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 but but it's good. But you know, I mean, even though some people say, oh, it's not real modelling, you know, these ARFs and foamies, and you know, you look down. Uh, down on them. No, it, it's different. You know, uh, who are we to say that we did it right and these guys are doing it wrong? Yeah. Well, you know what I say is that the AR, the concept of an ARF came about to solve a problem that existed, which was this problem of break-fix cycles, of all the amount of hours you'd have to spend to you know scratch-build or build something from a kit and then hope, hope that it works okay, that ARFs took that that out out so that people Absolutely. could now get up and flying a lot quicker because, it, you know, I don't think that if we didn't have ARFs today, I doubt the hobby would be as vibrant as it was. There's no way you oh. could have the internet and just kit build and scratch build because it, it's interesting listening to your story and then thinking about, you know, I've got young kids and – their world is very, very different to the world that you grew up in, that I grew up in, because they have something called the internet. And it, 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 they gravitate towards these screens and it's very hard for them to break away. And it's yeah. instant gratification that we had to build a kit at best. Yeah. And you'd yeah. have this vision in your mind of what it was going to be like once it was finished that kept you going. And I think yeah. the kids miss out on that because they don't have oh, that. Yeah. My son the other day was playing a computer game. He was getting frustrated because he couldn't beat some level or something. I said, Charlie, we used to spend hours trying to beat a level. We didn't jump up and down and yell and scream. We just knew that it was going to take time. And so I think I really think that the the generation today missing out on on a bit of that. But I I do agree with you. There there are some people that really will look down on people that that you know put together ARFs and that kind of stuff. But it's just oh yeah, it's it's like flying FPV. FPV is a different experience to say yeah. flying a plane, but it's it's a good experience. It's just different. But yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And look, the, the other encouraging sign, and you can even see it uh, with the juniors at P and Ducks, right? Uh, that they 
Of course, all ARFs or hand-me-downs which were basically ready to go. But they're now starting to say, hey, there's more to modeling. And they start modifying, they're starting to to, to build uh, their own or, or things like this. And, and, and this is great. You know, you, you definitely, aeromodeling is more than just flying. And vice versa, it's more than just building. You know, it's the combination of the two of them. And uh, and let's face it, if the ARFs wouldn't have come, it would be totally different. You know, first of all, everybody is time poor now, isn't it? To work, work, family takes up a, a lot of time. You just don't have time to, to spend that much in uh, building models. And the, the other thing too is, you know, when we were young, uh, if you crashed a plane on the weekend, well, you better build another one uh, during the week, otherwise you won't fly next week. You know, these days, uh, you probably have multiple models anyway, otherwise you just go and, and uh, get an ARF and in a, in, a few, in a few hours you've got something to fly, which is great, you know, I reckon it's great. So yeah. when you when you came to Australia and you started you kept on going with your your flying journey was it aerobatics that you were doing or did you get into scale things what was sort of the pathway through different categories of um uh, yeah, flight look, yeah look uh, you know, when I was telling you about uh, Switzerland in the in the couple of years before I came to Australia with the aerobatics you know uh, I very, very soon uh, realized if you want to fly aerobatics and you want to be somewhere uh, near the top, there was no, you couldn't do anything else. You know, forget, forget about going gliding or, or, or doing anything else. It demanded 100% of your attention, and it still does. Mm. True. You know, it still does. And, uh, yeah, so uh, after after I came to Australia, no, I really went more into into scale then. I still had sports models, you know, and a bit of aerobatics, and I also I then did a bit of pylon racing. But, you know, scale, scale then started to take over, and now I, it's basically 100% scale, you know, what I'm doing. I just... I just enjoy to to have a model which looks like a, a, a real aircraft, you know, yeah. and and with all the with all the pitfalls and and <laughs> difficulties, you know, what that involves. No, it's you know, yeah, that's what it is. And what are some of the notable models that you've you've built over the years? Oh my god! <laughs> How long's the list? Yeah. Oh look. You know, some crazy stuff. And I remember uh, one of the early models I built here and everybody looked at me and they, Jesus, is that guy real? It was a, a V1, you know, the, the, the unmanned... Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah so instead of, instead of having the... the the jet engine on top, you know, it has a 60 in it with a propeller in the front. <laughs> You're crazy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I agree oh, with them. Real, real crazy stuff, you know. And, uh, yeah, uh, nothing really stands out, you know. Yeah, 
you know, uh, I do a virtually all now scratch building, but I remember, you know, I don't know whether you remember Kyosho. Yes. Right? They made a series of quite nice uh, scale models. They were about 40, 40 size. They had a Sky Raider, they had a P40, they had uh, well, one or two of the Spitfire, whatever. Anyway, uh, Tony Sinkot had their. A hobby hangers at a sale on, so I bought two of them. I bought the Sky Raider and the P40. You know, I built them and they built up in, in really nice aircraft. But uh, you know, in those days, when you compare it to today, they were heavy models. You know, in those days, they, they were built to crash, not to fly. Yeah, so anyway, the uh, the, the P40R, it was a dog. It was a, a real dog. And uh, it looked pretty, you know, so I thought, nah, I'm, I'm not going to smash it. So I went to Peter Orchard, you know, Glen Orchard. Yeah, yeah, they had the hobby shop in Nittery, you know. So I gave it to him and he hung it up and then eventually sold it. Yeah. <laughs> the poor guy which bought that, you know. Yeah. And uh, and uh, the Sky Ranger actually flew quite well, you know. But uh, I can't remember what it was, but it was over the hill there in uh, at the police paddocks, you know. It went down and... Uh, uh, the, uh, Unfortunately, it's too far away. I couldn't see a crash only when I picked it up all the bits and pieces, you know. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, no, so, yeah, you know, that's probably the, the time when it started. Uh, hey, uh, build bigger because they fly better, you know. Mm-hmm. And especially true for scale aircraft, you know. Now, you know, again, I'm, I set myself limits. Uh, for transport, workshop, and everything like this, you know, well, probably two and a half meter wingspan, you know, so 30, 30, 40 cc petrol motors is probably about the limit for me because, uh, you know, once you go beyond that, then you special servos, special motors, special this, special that, undercarriages, you know. Trailers. Uh, <laughs> trailers, <laughs> yeah. yes. That's it. You know, it's, it's it where's the limit, you know. So, uh, and then, to be honest, Andrew, when they're flying, they don't look that much different. Whether it's two and a half meter or three meters or three and a half meters, once you're once you're <laughs> up a couple of hundred feet, you know they look the same. It's true. It's yeah. this fascination that we have. I think that you now I always say that the enjoyment you get out of flying a bigger model or something like that, you can't say it's fifty percent better than flying the smaller model. Not even probably ten percent. It's flying a model. It just happens to be a different size, and yeah, they look good. But like you said, everything gets small in the air. There are a couple of there are a couple of airplanes I think still stay big in the air, but most airplanes just look yeah, they just blend in, don't they? That, yes, we feel yes. it though. We know that the bigger models do fly a bit better, but oh, actually, look, undoubtedly, yeah. But you know, it is probably a, a thing of diminishing returns once you go over a certain size. That uh, it, it's just hard to justify economically, you know. Uh, yeah, and you know, the other thing is one of my mantras is uh, 
I would never build a model I can't afford to lose. That's right? a very, so, very good motto. I think that a lot of people yeah, should listen so, to that, take that advice. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, like like what happened uh, uh, a few months well, a year ago or longer uh, down at P&Ducks, you know, that guy coming in with that uh, twin uh, turbine F-14, you know, Tomcat with folding wings and everything like this, you know. Yeah. And uh, having seen him fly, I knew, Jesus, God, you guy, no, no way, you bloody game going mm. to fly that. Anyway, he flew it up in uh, in uh, Mangalore, you know, on the first flight, wrote the whole thing off, right? Now, if you crash a jet like this, there is nothing left. No. So do, do forget it, forget you forget salvaging anything, and and also you know he actually uh, mortgaged a house to buy it. Yeah, it's... you know this is the fun stops then. Yeah, but so, you're sensible though. That's the difference. Is that there's and most people are like that. Most people look at their hobbies as being yes. um, a way to spend their extra cash after they've paid for their yeah. the, the main things in life. But then there's other people that will, um, you know, will get loans or mortgages or overextend themselves financially to so yeah. they can have more and more models. And to me, I'm like you. I'm, I'm the same thing that, that uh, you do. Like you said, you get diminishing returns. So when do you say no, enough's enough? And I've talked about that a lot. You know, when is enough enough? Because I think some of us just go... Yeah go way oh, overboard but um but yeah that's i've seen it in car race car racing's terrible when people start getting going to car racing they yeah. will spend every cent that they have on the car yeah. and forget about everything else and and the amount of families that have broken up especially if there's a the, oh. the, the kids racing and the family that breaks up over car racing because the financial issues and the strain that's put on the family it's just it's like actually i had a race car and i used to race a car and my philosophy was I, I can do it as long as I'm comfortable that if I lost everything, totaled the car, couldn't salvage a thing, I could still pay my mortgage, still eat, and my family's living standard wouldn't change at all. And if I couldn't do that, then it wasn't worth doing anymore. You know? but, oh, but that's we're, we're sensible, though, and, and not everybody's like us. But yeah, in yeah. saying that, we're not so sensible because you've built – how many models do you think you've built throughout all your years so far? How many? Yeah. As a guess. I've, I've never counted, Andrew. Because <laughs> it could, could be a bit no, scary. Look, it, it, no, look, I mean, it, it, it will be in the hundreds of planes, you know. And, I mean, looking looking at my workshop now, you know, I probably have about 50, 50 60 planes. Really? You know, but I've got, you know, and they Quite often too, you know, the RCM magazine. There's a there's a, a plan in there, a nice scale model or something like this. They're usually only small. Oh, I like to build that, you know. And I've got a number of quite small uh, models, you know. I go I go and fly at the local park. Yeah. You know, I, I get a lot of enjoyment out of them. They're just cheap things, you know. Looking at it, well, why would you do that? I, I like it, you know. Well, it's yeah. interesting though. I think with with that, is you're you're building it. You're actually constructing it. So you're going you're going on that journey to not only to fly it, but 
you're going on that building journey. And obviously, you must love building. Oh, yeah, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, because, you know, it, 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 then, it then almost becomes part of you. You know, I mean, the, see, the thing is, uh, you know, you see somebody crash a foamy, uh, you have a laugh about it. I mean, most owners of the foamies, oh, Jesus, oh, God, look at that one. You know, you, you never get attached to them because, uh, you know, looking in another way, hey, they build a, a couple of hundred every day of these planes. You know, so why, if, if, if you really miss that plane, just go and buy another one. It looks exactly the same. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> is it? Yeah. No, it is. But, you know, when you build something, when you build something from scratch or even a kit, it, it, it is individual. It, it, it is the only one like this. Yeah, when you put it, it's it's interesting that, that that you put it that way, and it makes a lot of sense because there's certain models that I've owned that they didn't mean much to me. So if I got rid of them, it didn't really matter. Or if I crashed them, it didn't matter. But yeah. then the models that I put a lot of time into were the ones that were like, no, this, this is my little baby. I I got to look after this model. And so you you really you know you do more maintenance on them. You make sure everything's okay and that kind of thing. Um, but it makes, yeah, that makes a lot of sense because, yeah, if I lost my foamies, I wouldn't be that Yeah, yeah, that, that's exactly right. So, you, you know, yeah, as I said, you, you, you don't get attached to them. Uh, you know, it's, it's a means to, to keep your thumbs moving while you're building what you want to build. Well, it's interesting. I, I've mentioned this a few weeks ago, I think, on this podcast there, how my mum always asks me, she says, have you still got that yellow plane? And what she's referring to was a glider that I built. Uh, it would have been the mid nineties or something. And she has seen that follow me from house to house. And yes, I still have it. The tail's broken on it, but I still have it because I can't get rid of it because I built it yes. from the kit. Yes. Like I built it, and and I did a reasonable job at it. It was my second crack at building a model, and I did okay. And so I just I I can't get rid of it. I can't. The wings yeah. are there. Yeah. The fuselage is all there. I should fix it up. I think I've even got some spare covering for it or something somewhere, but um, yeah, it's like a it's like an heirloom that no one oh, else is in, that no one else is interested in. Though, Rolly, we're interested in our own heirlooms, but nobody else. Yeah, that's exactly right. Do you know the other the other day? Uh, I've just finished uh, uh, building that four meter Bergfalk, you know, a glider. Yeah. And uh, and I thought, oh, what am I going to do in? Uh, what am I going to do now on Monday? And uh, I remember the, about six years ago, I crashed that uh, black horse uh, Wilder, yeah, yeah. and uh, it wasn't it wasn't uh, totaled right. So there were still some good bits around. So I gathered them all up. But that was six years ago. Maybe one day I'm going to do something like and. Uh, uh, so I thought, no, I'm going to get this. I'm going to get this going again. And uh, you know, from the from the back of the wing forward, everything was gone. There was nothing left, mm. <laughs> and uh, the tail was still there. The wings were still there. So you know, to buy that new, it's over a thousand dollars now. I thought, oh, I, you know, I can build that for a ten percent uh, of that of that. Anyway, I did it, and uh, uh, now for where well, about three weeks ago, we started flying it again, and it's 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 actually now better than what it was before, <laughs> just because of the time I put in it. Yeah, yeah. Right? It, it now 
it now has got a, a, the color scheme which is different to what it was. So it's, it's a unique aircraft. Uh, my own ideas are in there now, and it, it's just fantastic. You know? <laughs> well, you had um, one of the models that I did an article on was the Corby Starlet that you owned. Yes. Um, I put that in the Flat Out RC magazine. And yes, it was an ARF, but you then modified that because you had a, a, a sliding canopy, didn't yes. you, on that model? Yeah, yeah. And yeah. that was that was a great looking model. That was a very strong. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah, that actually is in the workshop at the moment, waiting uh, to because uh, you know being an ARF and now quite a few years old, the the covering started to come off. Yeah, right. Yeah. Or you know, every time you land, oh, I used to have a blue stripe on that wing. You know, mm. it's now gone. Mm. <laughs> yeah, so it's 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 actually performing that slow. Uh, uh, yeah, undressing act. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So so anyway, uh, yeah. So th this. This will be coming on the line again, but it will be totally different. Different things done with it, different color scheme, even better than what it was. But you're right; it's it's a fantastic aircraft, you know. And uh, you know, it's third scale, and yet you can still transport it. Yeah, yeah, it's a good size model. Because the, because the prototype is is only small, and uh, yeah. And it's just fantastic, yeah. So uh, yeah, no. So that that that's another one which uh, I'm going to get get going. With all the models that you've built, you've must have learned a lot. Like, what are some of the biggest tips that you could give give anybody if they're uh, building a when they're building a model? Never give up. <laughs> yeah, never give up. Yeah, look, uh, I'm building at the moment. Uh, uh, a Vickers uh, Viscount yeah, for yeah, engine yeah. turboprop, right? That's in, for oh, I would say, at least six, seven years ago I started that, right? Uh, every time I come across a problem, then it stops again because I, I can't, I have to have a clear in my head before I go and start cutting balsa wood or, or doing something, you know, you work it out in your mind before this. And I come across a, a few problems with it, which uh, at the beginning when I start, started building it, I just didn't think of it, you know, I made a mistake. So now how do I go and fix that? Yeah, so at the moment it's, uh, Look, it's probably about 90% complete, you know, so in, in the next couple of months uh, that that will then uh, be ready, you know, but it, it's, it's been, a, it's probably been my most difficult build. You know, complexity, complexity, how, how do you, yeah, uh, you know, I, a few new uh, building techniques I incorporated in that. Uh, to, uh, it's a foam fuselage, which I made out of. Uh, 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 actually, it was interesting when I got to, to buy the foam. I looked in the yellow pages or Googled it, uh, foam suppliers. And when I walked in there, they did uh, pipe insulation. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
things, yep. right? So we've had a hole inside and then about a two-inch ball thickness and they, you mm. put that around heating pipes or cooling yep. pipes or whatever. I know, I know, yeah. Yeah, and lo and behold, when I measured that, it was within a few millimetres of the fuselage of really? that pipe So I said to him, okay, look, what I want is this, but don't cut the hole inside, leave it yeah. leave it solid, yeah. right? So I had that, so I went home and then drew the side view on on, on, on that uh, on that foam pipe, yeah. right, crop view, and then I started shaping it. Oh. <laughs> yeah, so we, you know, it really turned out good, and then uh, the covering with just brown paper and the uh, wallpaper glue. Yeah, and then and what do you, you know. and then what do you do after that? Huh? Let, and what do you do after that? After you put the paper on the outside, do you fiberglass yeah. it or? Yeah, look, what I did then too is I asked them to split that pipe uh, in the middle lengthwise. Yeah. So I actually had two halves because I had to hollow out inside. See that? Mm. And, and uh, oh God, that was funny too. I, I did that. I put a wire brush on my uh, drill, right? Yeah. Uh, and then I went to town with it in the backyard. <laughs> you know? Oh, the mess. And, <laughs> and, it looked like snow. The whole yeah. backyard looked like snow, you know. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so but, but it worked, you know. And then the fuselage it uh, actually turned out really good. The wings uh, uh, at the time, uh, you know, with Andrew Smallridge with the G10, right? So uh, normally what they've been doing is you just build a reap. Uh, rib construction, balsa wood or plywood with spars in it and things like this. And what I did too is I built a, a spar, uh, but I covered it on both sides with G10. So it's actually very, very strong, right? Because you can't bend it anymore, you know? And for the ribs, I used 20 millimeter foam. Okay. So foam ribs. Yeah. Right. And then I covered it, and then I covered it with the G10, that fiberglass uh, mm. uh, thing, you know. Yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, and that really turned out fantastic. And also, you then get a little bit of a ripple effect for when you glue it down onto the ribs, and then the unsupported thing. It actually looks like an aluminium wing, you know, oh. because when you look at them, they are not totally flat like today's 787 or something like this you know no in those days they actually had decent ripples in it yeah, <laughs> yeah so it, no it, it actually turned out turned out really good you know so i'm looking forward to to get that thing going so hopefully yeah, by the time monty tittle comes around i'll i'll have it going you is know? that going to be electric powered yes yeah for electric motors yeah yeah. yeah. How many batteries? Uh, then look, I probably I'm gonna I'm gonna have the the two outboard motors on one battery and the two inboard motors on on one battery, and they're uh, probably six s uh, five thousands or something like this. Two of them. Okay, sure. Yeah, you know the wings the wingspan is uh, just on two and a half meters. You know. Oh, geez, big, yeah. yeah. So it's a, it's fairly fairly big aircraft, probably about eight eight nine kilograms. Yeah. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing that. I've seen some photos of it. It looks really good. I didn't know that it was foam. 
Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's, it's good, you know, because uh, especially that insulation foam, that is really, it's really poor, poor material, you know, to, to get a good surface finish. Either you're going to fiberglass it or you, you're going to put balsa wood on top and then, uh, you know, and everything is uh, yeah, yeah, just really awkward, you know, because it is so soft. I mean, even even now, this one there with that, with that paper on it and things like this, it, it toughens up the surface, but, you know, you still have to be careful, you know. You yeah, know. yeah. You, you can't just chuck it in the back of the car and, and go, you know. No, that's true. Yeah. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing that that one fly. Speaking of events, what are some of the favorite? What are some of your favorite events to attend over the years? Yes. Look, I mean, I mean, basically, it's probably just a, you know, I was involved right from the start with the Monty Tittle, you know, and uh, even as a competition uh, director down there, I probably ran that for about ten years. You know, so, uh, yeah, so, and the other thing too is, uh, you know, one of my favourite events is probably uh, uh, the one up at Albury, you know, the, the Autumn Rally. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, look, the attraction there is the runway, the concrete runway. Concrete you know, runway's nice at the Albury Club. I just absolutely yeah. love it. You know? yeah. Well, I keep yeah. on saying that when I win the lotto, which I might win the lotto tonight, I'm going to buy a big piece of land with a house on it in the country and I'm going to build myself either an asphalt or a concrete run- runway and it's going to be great. And I'll oh, only yeah. let the people that I like, like you, Rolly, through the front door to come and fly with me. We'll keep all the bad ones out. Uh, it's going to be great. I just need to win $40 million prize tonight. I, sh- I may have won it already. <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing talking to, Rolly. I could be I could have $40, mi- could be $40 million richer. Oh, the, there won't be a the, podcast the, next week if uh, if I've won. So, uh, so people will know. Now, so uh, what about the Shepherd and Mammoth? Have you been to the Shepherd and Mammoth event as well down here? Yeah, look, I mean, uh, Shepherd and uh, I probably only started going there probably about 2010 because before then I never had a model large enough to, to qualify. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but see, no, so you were living in Melbourne and now you've moved to Benalla, haven't you, up in the country? Yes. Which yeah. is a great spot. How are you enjoying that change? Oh, fantastic! Oh, look, yeah, you know, I mean, I can't, I can't get over the fortunate timing of it all. Yeah. You know, I moved up here, and lo and behold, within six months, oh, Melbourne is shut down and everything yeah, like yeah. this. You know, uh, I, I joined, I joined the Vangaratta Club, yeah, uh, because Benalla doesn't have a an aero club anymore, model club. They, they got us loose. They're, they're three or four guys, but they fly out of a paddock uh, on a farm. They used to have a club. They, they I think they, I think they did. Yeah, yeah. Murph, Murph Buckmaster was, you know, he was. He used to be the. Airborne. Remember, he used to be the, the uh, editor of Airborne and stuff right. like this. Yeah. You know, yeah, he lives up here somewhere. You know. And, uh, yeah, but uh, look, you know, I, I really do miss, I really do miss the being darks. Yeah. You know, first of all, I've been there for that long and made many, many, many great friends, which I miss, especially now who can't travel, right? And the other thing, the other thing too is, yes, they uh, 
very good mates as well at Wengeretta. Uh, Right, a lot of them I knew from the various events, but uh, you know, we're a club of 28 members, so you you go and fly there, and you you probably six of us flying. You know, it's, it's just not the same. You know, I yeah, mean, Packingham. Yeah. We're we're members of the Pendarth Club, and it's it's a busy place. 170 members, not all 170 turning up and flying yeah. at the same time, but. I was saying, I've said to people that sometimes events at every weekend at Packenham is like an event. You know, yes. you get plenty of people there, kind of thing. And and sometimes I find some of the events at the field it just feels like it's just another weekend because we're seeing the same faces at the same plane. Yes. But, um, yeah, going to those country clubs, I do love going to country clubs. It's probably one of my preferred options. You know, to to have that, not as many people around, nice open yes. spaces and that kind of thing. But it hasn't Wangaratta. Tell me about Wangaratta. Isn't there a tree in the way, or there's some story about the no. Wangaratta field? No. The, look, the field, the, the runway is excellent. It's probably it's a better runway than Pea and Ducks. Really? Right. Yes. Uh, because the ground is different. I mean, mm. Pea and Ducks. It's a, it's it, yeah. it's you know it's up and down and requires constant uh, attention no up there it is nice flat packed and you know and they're really fantastic for duck to train and stuff like this you know yeah uh, you know it's it's not a it's a single runway and unfortunately uh, the layout uh, dictated the the direction of the runway. Now, most of the time when we get that uh, southwesterly or something like this, it's actually a crosswind, right? So, you know, look, it's not a great big problem because we don't seem to get the sea breezes we used to get uh, in there, uh, which you get at P and Darks, you know, with yeah. coastal, coastal breezes, which tend to be quite strong at times, you know. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, so that is that. But but look, otherwise, you know, it's, it's a fantastic flying field and it's good, you know. You you fly, with, uh, you, you, you can fly anything out of that. We do air towing out of it and, and all, you know. Yeah, I've yeah. never been there myself, um, but um, I know, you know, it hosts a lot of events, you know, IMAC and things like that. So it's... um. It's good to see. Now, tell me a bit about, you've moved to Benella, but I, I saw this thing on your Facebook page, Rolly's Model Works. What's this this whole story about <laughs> Rolly's Model Works? There was a sign sitting in the front of a shop front window with Rolly's yeah. Model Works, and I'm thinking, oh, no, he's gone up there and he's taken over the town and he's going to start spruiking yeah. models. It's now look, I mean, it's, 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 it's a bit of window dressing as well. You exactly, know? Yeah. No, um, no, what it was, it's actually my neighbour here is a, a photographer, a press photographer, and he was uh, with the, uh, with the uh, Benella Ensign, you know, the newspaper. So anyway, I actually, he actually uh, went to his editor and said, hey, look, an interesting guy, Rolly, here, why don't you... Why don't you do an article about him? Anyway, he he we met up at uh, Wenger at the field, and uh, uh, I don't know whether you've seen the article, which then subsequently was in the local paper. Yeah, I did you know, see it. Yeah, half, 
half a page, you know, yeah. which was quite good. Anyway, and also the guy, he had a studio in the old SEC headquarter building, which used to be the regional headquarter when it was still the SEC. It was a three-story building with a heap of uh, uh, offices and stuff like this. Anyway, he he got his photo studio in there, and he said, oh, come and have a look where I am, and uh, I'm sure there's still plenty of space there. Maybe you can come in there. I had a look at it, and oh, fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, with the, with the landlord, she, she's a local solicitor, so I uh, talked with her, and she said, yep. Uh, you know, for a very modest uh, rent a month, uh, I've got a, I've got a studio there, which is as big as uh, probably the biggest one I ever had. And there is another office uh, next to it, which I use as a nice storeroom. Yeah. Ah. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, what what I thought too is with the with the shop window there, I thought oh, I'll display some models. You never know what happens. I made up that with all his model work, uh, poster in there, and uh, see what happens. It's it's not a shop, right? All I said is look, some you know sometimes uh, people buy uh, their kits or themselves. Uh, back into the hobby and then they buy a radio and they buy an ARF. How am I going to put this together? How, how does that work? And uh, so that's what I said, you know, you want advice, we can actually uh, build it together here. So I actually built quite a lot of models for people, with, with the people. I don't build it for them, but they come as well and we build it together. That's great. That's a, such See a that? cool thing. Yeah, that's exactly right. You know, and my my idea behind it is I had a lifetime of enjoyment out of that hobby and let's pass it on, you know. Let's pass it on, yeah. So, uh, yeah, so I had uh, kids coming through, you know, they just wanted to, uh, the mother sees it there or the father sees it there. Oh, what's this all about? They come for a chat and then uh, build a simple model or something like this, you know. Uh, yeah. And uh, also the other thing what happened then is that the vendor at the library uh, contacted me. Oh, we saw that sign there and these models. <laughs> would you like to? Would you like to do an, uh, a, a model exhibition at the library in in Langaretta? And they've got a, they've got a, you know always looking for different interactive displays and stuff like this. So in September they had one planned for the second year running. It's a heritage arts and crafts and uh, the librarian there uh, she came and uh, talked to me and said oh how would you like to have a uh, a table there and you build a model yeah see that That's and great. unfortunately unfortunately yeah. uh, call it then yeah. uh, put the kibosh on that but yeah. hopefully next year it's going to go yes yeah, so, you know it the local interest is is in there and uh, and at least there's a phone number there, a contact, and I already had a, a couple of new members through just that sign in the window. Yeah, it's amazing. When you put a little sign up, people will see it, and that yeah. might spark their interest. It, it, it comes back to um, 
this whole idea that I've always had, and I think we, we a lot of us have got the same idea, is we all got into the hobby from seeing it. It's a very visual thing. We saw we saw someone flying a plane at the local park. We saw it in a magazine. We saw it in a shop. We saw it in a shop shop front. Yeah. And that's what you've done is you you put something in the shop front, and um and people see it. And guess what? They might spark an interest and get involved, which is um, good to see. Now, a question for you. I've never asked this question before, but uh, when I look at aero modeling, I always thought it was going to be a great hobby to have when you retire from work. And now, and I can't wait till I retire from work. I, <laughs> hopefully, I've won the 40 million. And that means tomorrow I'm retired. But, yeah. <laughs> but from your perspective, now being retired, is it great having a hobby like aero modeling now that you're retired and that you can spend more time on it? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, look, absolutely. You know, there too, it is, you know, now, you know, like I used to laugh at people which said they retired and they never knew what uh, that they had time to go to work. Right, I can now understand that. I don't know how I ever worked with you know? <laughs> that busy with with other things, you know. And also, I I probably now enjoy it the most I have ever in my life. You what know, do you th- what do you think that? Well, I now you know before before then uh, because work obviously took have to take preference obviously you know you have to uh, full effort goes into the business and work and uh, so aero modeling was whatever time you could scratch together right and so oh i know i should do that but look i want to go fly so i'll leave that off now i've really got time to to really go through it very thoroughly do it do it the way the best way I can do it without compromises or anything like this, you know, and I enjoy that very much, you know, and, and also, especially with scale models, you know, I used to, uh, you know, I, I'm i not good enough to build a, a David Law scale model, right? Uh, I, 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 I build them that they, to, to the best of my ability, uh, now I've got a little bit more time to put a few more extra details into it, and I enjoy that. You know, that's yeah. well, that's reassuring because I've always said that I've got models that I'm going to build when I retire because I just don't have the time to do it now. And, yeah. you know, I'm in a busy stage of my life, and it will get better. But I find also the other thing, which is you've solved that problem, is having the space to build. For a lot of yes. us, we don't have the room. I don't have a shed where I can start building a kit and leave it there. You know, I am moving yeah. things around constantly and having that 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 space, I just can't wait for my kids to leave me. Oh, look. Well. Yeah, when yeah. they move, I've got more space. But I don't know yeah. if I can kick a 14-year-old year out of home yet. Yeah. But, um, I look, try. I mean, I mean that, 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 that shop and uh, that workshop at the... Uh, Bridge Street, which I've got now, I can't believe this is just, it's just paradise. Yeah. Right? I can leave things there. Uh, The other thing is, you know how normally the workshop is a total chaos? Yeah, yeah. That's normally a a model's workshop is is total chaos, right? Yeah. Uh, 
oh, I can't afford to do that. I actually have to clean up. Yeah. <laughs> See that because I never know when somebody uh, walks in. Yeah. And wants to come and have a look at it or something like this. So you can't have putty uh, uh, stuff everywhere. Oh, right. you know? mm-hmm. Yeah. So now I'm I'm actually the butt of. Uh, division or or whatever oh you should see it doesn't roll this workshop you know it's yeah. all so tidy you yeah know? <laughs> yeah who would have who would have thought who would have thought are there any models that you hope to to still build oh god look i i am i am very very conscious <laughs> of running out of time <laughs> <laughs> we all are uh, no look the, the other thing is, uh, I, because of the number of models I've got, I, I really, uh, unless really something grabs me, uh, you know, I, I don't want, I, do, I don't want it anymore. You know, I just, I, I love to to get what I've got in the best possible shape and fly it and enjoy it. You know, without, you know, that, that's another thing with with foamies. You know, they really. They really are addictive. You know, a new model coming out, a new foamy coming out, oh, I have to have that, have to have that, have to have that. And in the end, uh, you can see it on the internet, these these uh, workshops, you know, they, they've got two dozen foamies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know. Yeah. But it's, it's yeah, it's one of those things. Uh, they are, well, see, this is the thing, it's even... You know, Horizon Hobby, who's the biggest brand in the world, they'll tell you they survive on on foamies. Yeah, so just that's their biggest selling category, whether we like it or not. Oh yeah, absolutely. People just gravitate towards them. Yeah, you, you know, and, and I can understand why, Andrew, because you go you go into a hobby shop and it is that nice big big box, right, with a glossy picture, and then you open the box and. There it is in all its glory. Yeah, it's true. You know, all you have to do is stick it together and you can fly on the weekend. Yeah. It's it's almost irresistible. Yeah. Well, I, I've got one of the new um, Draco, the big, uh, the w- big wheelchair that um, Horizon Hobby E-Flight have made, and it's two-metre wingspan. You oh, should yeah. see the detail in it. Unbelievable. Oh, it, it is unbelievable. Yeah, oh, That's exactly yeah. right. You know. Yeah. I haven't flown it yet, though, thanks to COVID. Yeah, still sitting. Yeah, there. you know, the, the the thing too is what is what is still disappointing uh, for me with these ARFCs. You leave them out in the sunshine, and the thing but starts to pop up, bubble yeah. up. Yeah, you know, uh, I know I know one of the club members in Langerata. He bought uh, uh, the big Spitfire. Yeah. Yeah. Flight line or whatever it is, yeah. you know, yeah. they're fantastic models. He now had it for about half a year, you know, and it it is looking shabby now. He left it out in the sun, so the wings are all bubbly, you know, especially inside the canopy, the the uh, hanger rest, you know, every every sharp corner or something like this is is white. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and yet and yet you pay close to a thousand bucks for that thing. That's the thing, yeah. That's they're not cheap some of those foamies nowadays. But oh, no. as they've got bigger though, you think about the ESC's bigger, the motor's bigger, the servos are bigger, so there's a lot of costing just the running gear for oh, them yeah. as well now. 
and then not oh, to mention bigger batteries and all that. So yeah, this, it it is surprising. I think we've gone through a period of time where the costs have gone up here in Australia, par- partially because of the exchange rate. Um, yes, but uh, it's really concerning to see what's happening now in the world with shortage of things, and um, you know harder to get wood, harder to get balsa wood. Uh, there's a lot of demand for balsa wood in um, for um, turbine blades for um, wind turbines things like that, and so it, it's going to be interesting to see how everything fares, and including one of the biggest expenses that's going up is shipping costs. You try to get a big model sent from Queensland to Melbourne, a kit or something. Oh, it's yeah. horrendous how how much it costs. So. Yes, I, I do believe we're, it's dramatically cheaper, the hobby from, say, the 80s and buying radio oh, gear. Yeah, you know, it's funny. When you think about the radio gear that you'd pay $1,000 for, that now you can buy a $100 radio that has more functionality than that $1,000 oh. radio. It is amazing. Oh, absolutely. And you don't have to worry about crystals. Yeah, and, and you know, also the reliability of these radios, especially with the 2.4 now, uh, you know, you you start to run out of excuses. <laughs> that's true. Do, <laughs> do you think that's been the biggest biggest um, tech, technology change through your time frame, or the the the, the best um, you know enhancement that we've had in the hobby? Oh, look! It 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 it, it changed the hobby completely. I think yeah. you know when yeah. you when you think about. Uh, uh, especially going back to Shepparton. Remember the queues in front of the transmitter pound? You know, they, they, you, you sometimes waited two or three hours to get a flight. You know, because you had that many people coming there and uh, there were only so many channels available and uh, you just had to wait. You know, now uh, transmitter pounds are gone. You don't need it anymore. Yeah. Can you hear that noise in the background, Rolly? What was it? My dog scratching on the door trying to get into the room where I'm sitting. <laughs> the damn dog, the dog hasn't been feeling well. And <laughs> she's coming back to life and she's just yeah, getting back to yeah, being yeah. annoying. There aren't many models that you want to build, which is quite rare for an aero model to say, oh, there's not that many other things that I want to build. Um, but you obviously then enjoy helping other people build, which is is good to see. And one thing that I was thinking about, which I was going to ask you, where do you get all this balsa from? If you've built so many aeroplanes, where are you sourcing all your balsa from? <laughs> oh, look, at the, at the moment, probably, uh, there is a reasonable, uh, actually quite surprising, reasonable hobby shop in Mangarapa. Uh, he he also sells uh, tropical fish and mm. things like that. Yeah. Well, that's what you've got to do nowadays. You've got to diversify. Yeah. yeah. No, but he, you know, uh, the, the other thing is he, he's quite a friendly guy and he gets in whatever you want. He, he gets in. And the other one, of course, is Albury, you know, Robsa. Yeah, Rob Sargent up at uh, Albury, you know. But but look, there again, what what I have been uh, trying to do now, especially with uh, building material, balsa wood getting that expensive, to actually uh, look at other materials we can use. Okay. Yeah, you know, I mean, uh, yes, traditionally we use balsa wood, and, and there, there are still... Uh, also would probably will never 
go out the fashion for modeling mm. because it's just so easy to work with you know but, but there are there are other other materials too you know you can use yes as i said to you before with uh, with foam you know and now that 3d printing which I, I haven't had to go with at that, you know, but that, that certainly is, a, is an alternative now. Uh, the, uh, yeah, and that uh, G10, that fiberglass sheet, you know. So, yeah, you know, see that, uh, you know, it's, it's really, it's really up to your imagination what you make of it. That is definitely true. Yeah. And then that's, and that's what that's what I love about it. There, there are no set rules. You shall do this. You know, you you can interpret that whichever way you want. Yeah, that's true. That is true. Yeah. Now there's there's a question that I leave to the end, and it's a question that everybody can't wait to hear the answer for. And I hope you give me a good answer and don't start giving me three, four, five different models. But that is, what has <laughs> been your favourite model of all time? I'm looking for one Rolly. Not ten, your favourite model of all time that you're buying. <laughs> oh. Okay, okay. Look, can I can I give you two? One, one. I love gliders. Yeah. Right. I love gliding, and of course the uh, uh, powered models. Uh, with the glider. Uh, I now have that for probably almost 10 years. It's a, it's a Reichhardt models from Germany. It was a semi-kit, so you get a fiberglass fuselage and foam core wings and then you finish it off. And it's a four-meter glider, Club Liddell, and it's just a, I just love that model. Really? I really love it. Uh, it's got... Uh, you know, normally gliders have spoilers which pop out uh, top and bottom of the wing or just on the top. Uh, this one has got, like the full-size one, it's only got flaps. Okay. Right. So uh, I flew the Mosquito, the glass Mosquito, which is a single-seater, and uh, but it's it's a high performance glider. I flew that up here in Benalla when I used to do gliding, and that only had flaps. And you know, flaps are not as effective as the spoilers. Mm. You know, when you think back to the Kookaburra or the IS-28, you pop these dive brakes out, and you can put push the stick fully forward, and you will not. Uh, overstress the aircraft because they're sized that they are yeah you can come vertically down you don't exceed the maximum speed but with the with the flaps you do hmm. so the so it, it is not the easiest glider to fly you, you have to be you have to be on the ball with it but that's what i like so that would be my probably my favorite glider and uh, as for the powered one uh, look at the moment it will probably will be my big scratch built uh, Dornier 27 which I had now for a number of years it's been on the front of a, a, 
a title page of Airborne when it was still going. Uh, I had a, a couple of times in magazines and stuff like this. It's it's a nice aircraft. It's, again, it's not the easiest to fly, but uh, you know, uh, if I wanted a really easy to fly model, it probably would be a uh, yeah, probably Colby Starlet or uh, any one of these Piper Cups or something like this. Yeah, you know? It's, no, this this uh, demands a little bit more. It's got a few quirks, you know. You have to know, <laughs> but the, you know, it, it it does make it interesting, you know. And it, it's a it's a challenge to fly. Uh, last time I flew it, I had a, a you know, it, it really botched it up, and I damaged the undercarriage, so. I had to fix that, but it's it's all going again, you know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So look at look at this stage. It's it's just probably hard to say, you know. Normally, uh, your best model ever is uh, one of your latest ones you you built, you know. But that's not necessarily so. Yeah, that's true. I've, I've, you know, this, this, this is going to be about episode seventy six or something like that. I've actually got it on my notes here. We're up to episode seventy six of the podcast. So I've had seventy six people give me that give me an answer, or nearly seventy six. I've been a couple of people that I've had on twice that didn't need to ask that question, but let's say at least seventy three times people give me that answer, and it often the the most popular answer is is a model that might not necessarily be the prettiest, the best, the most expensive no. one. It's just something that represented something at that particular time or it was a uh, they yes. competed in an event with it or they spent a lot of time building it and it was a labour of love or whatever. So it was, um, yeah, it's interesting. You know, I, I ask myself often what is the, my favourite model and, a, and I think I've got one, but um, I haven't been around in the hobby as long as you. So it's a, it's a much easier choice for me than it is for you, Rolly, because I've never met anybody that's been cons a consistent aero modeller for such a long period of time as you, I think. But what I've learned through this chat with you is that you're a very, very sensible person, a very intelligent person. And you're also, every time I've seen you at the field, you're always having fun. And I think, yes. that, I think that that's a good word, is that you are, you are just, the person's having the most fun at the field is Rolly. He's, you always seem to be really enjoying yourself. And I think, um, you know, oh, yeah. that's a good way yes. to be. Yeah, look, I mean, I always said is, uh, you know, you're going down to the field to enjoy yourself, right? So anything that interferes with that is no good. You know, when politics come into it or, or other things, uh, rivalries and so, uh, no, that's not what we're down there for. You know, you've got hassles and stuff like this uh, during the week at work and things like this. You don't want that when you go to the flying field. Hmm. Have fun. You know, and, and the other thing is it's the same, it's the same thing with uh, you know, many times during my 20, 30 years on the committee, you know, or uh, this happened, you know, or we, we need to change the rule uh, to, 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 to stop this. And, hey, we don't need a rule to do that. It's common sense. Go and tap that guy on the shoulder and say, hey, this is not acceptable. Yeah, no, that's correct. I'm a big believer of that as well. Tap him on the shoulder and address them because... 
that'll solve the problem rather than another rule and then and that nobody's going to look at and someone has to monitor it. No, it's just, yeah. Well, as I said, you're, you're a very sensible person, Rolly. You're a very, very sensible person. I'm glad we have a sensible voice in the hobby like you. So I just want to say thank you for joining me. I, I, you've been on my list for a long time to get you on, and I'm glad I did, <laughs> and I'm sure everybody else will. So, Rolly, thank you for joining me. No problem. Thank you, Andrew. Yeah, thanks for that. Yeah. Bye. About to leave. Already packing. Come with me. I'm not really asking. We'll get away to a place where we don't know. Another episode of the Flat Out RC podcast done and dusted. A big thank you for listening and also to Rolly Gowman for joining me and spending the time to have a chat and share his story in aero modeling. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast. Tell your friends as well. No matter what platform you're on, there'll be a subscribe button. Leave us a review if you like. And don't forget, whilst you're at it, Flat Out RC YouTube channel. I was on there the other day. haven't done much because of COVID, but hopefully that's going to change coming up. And uh, but, uh, some, there's some reasonable videos there for you to get into. Uh, don't forget Instagram page, uh, Facebook page, just search Flat Out RC and you'll find everything. I'll be back next week. Um, I'm not sure who the guest is going to be because I, was, I recorded it. I was supposed to have a recording and the guy forgot, I think. He hasn't responded to me. Maybe I've done something wrong. I don't know what. But anyway, no doubt I will be back with something next week. So thanks for joining me. I'll talk to you then. Now looking back, eyes on the freeway, Bonnie and Clyde.